Are you okay? You sound uh, still a little bit uh, scratchy. I am still a little bit scratchy. I think this is the three-week cold that uh, your lovely and talented wife had. I had it too. Man. So I, 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 I sympathize. This is, a, this is a bad one. And, you know, we got the flu shot. And it must be some variation thereof. I don't think it's the flu. What is it? It's not a cold. I think it's just a super bug. I think all those years of antibacterial soap are now coming home to roost. Well, I think you're absolutely right there, which is why, you know, when I grew up, I had lots of dirt. And, uh... <laughs> you can't go to school till you eat your dirt. Exactly. You know, we would play in sandboxes where the cats used to play. Well, not play. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, the things that we did as, as kids... Uh, should be dead. I mean, it would it would drive the soccer moms absolutely crazy. You know, the kind of moms that uh, shop for gluten-free stuff at Whole Foods because little Johnny is, is, is allergic to everything because he hasn't been exposed to anything. Uh, you don't treat Olivia that way, do you? No, 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 no. Olivia eats plenty of dirt. Good. Good for her. Dirt and chemicals. That's what we need more of. Are you trying to tell the young people of today that? And they won't believe you. No, no they won't. Clearly, the views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of Health Canada. Hang on, I think Jenny McCarthy's on the phone. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Note, Geeks and Beats is for external use only. Cease use if itching persists. The little man, Steve Jobs, wanted to hide in every Macintosh. We'll look back at the iconic computer and look ahead to a world where Apple rivals American Express. The world's first Twitter libel lawsuit. We'll tell you how Alan got Courtney off. Can we rephrase that, perhaps? <laughs> Sorry. How big is too big for the palm of your hand? We'll look at the latest rumored iPhone. In this week's Ask Alan Anything, the Sono Sound System reviewed. Plus 22 minutes for a goat joke. Geeks and Beats listeners chime in on the best driving song ever, and we'll introduce you to a bra that doesn't unclass unless she really loves you. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So when I wrote up the Alan Cross at the center of the Courtney Love Twible lawsuit, I didn't know how you were going to take me, including a picture of you from probably 26 years ago. Well, that, that's okay. It's all a matter of public record, and you can't hide this stuff from, from the Internet. The Internet, uh, it's forever. There are some very unflattering photographs of you on the Internet, I have to say. <laughs> I, I know. I want to know. I didn't put them there, but uh, okay. <laughs> but you did, in fact, play a key role in the outcome of the defamation lawsuit filed against Courtney Love, which ruled in her favor. All right. Let's start at the beginning. Um, 2010, Courtney was in the middle of uh, a legal battle where she says that $30 million in cash and over $530 million in assets had been looted from the Cobain estate. And she had gone through a number of lawyers who were trying to help her track down this malfeasance, this fraud. And one of the lawyers that she tracked down uh, and had and employed was Rhonda Holmes, who worked for, who's a partner in a San Diego law firm called Holmes and Gordon. And they were getting along famously until something went wrong and Courtney tweeted something that I'm not going to repeat here just in case it gets me back in court, but uh, you can read about it online, um, tweeted something unflattering about Rhonda, uh, a, a, a tweet that she says... Well, it was deleted almost immediately, but it was seen by some people. And then uh, two days or so later, 
or sometime later, she sits down with an for, with me for an interview backstage at the Sound Academy after a show, and she talks about her legal problems again. So uh, I wrote this up for a now-defunct website called exploremusic.com. You can find it on the uh, internet, Wayback Machine, if you want, um, where, where I, I, I sort of recount our conversation, and I mention a female... I mentioned that Courtney mentions a female lawyer who had been, uh, I think of the word, gotten to her. Mm-hmm. So, so the implication was that somehow uh, this lawyer, Rhonda Holmes, had been um, persuaded by someone somehow to sever her relationship with Courtney Love regarding this fraud and embezzlement case. So uh, th- back in May of 2012, I was contacted and... Uh, by, by Holmes and Gordon. They said, you know, we need to depose you because we have this ongoing lawsuit. So I was in Los Angeles at the time, and I spent three hours being deposed by by both sides, by both sets of attorneys. Uh, I then forgot about it until uh, just before Christmas when I got a note saying, hey, we're going to trial. Uh, would you be interested in coming down and testifying? Because you didn't actually have to. As a Canadian, they had no way of legally forcing you to get on a plane. Absolutely not. And but I wanted to go because, listen, this is something I wrote and I want no ambiguity as to what I meant, what I heard and uh, what I wrote. So uh, fine. They paid uh, or or paid for my or going to pay for my expenses. And uh, so I went down there and uh, and I testified last Tuesday. I was on the stand, Department 56 at the L.A. County Courthouse in downtown Los Angeles. Wait a minute. Is, isn't that the same one where O.J. Simpson got off? It was the same it's same building. Um, I, I mean, there's a lot of identical courtrooms, but the courtroom I was in looked exactly what we saw, uh, like what we saw with the Michael Jackson trial. Uh, so uh, exactly what we saw with the with the O.J. trial where, you know, the, the, the judge's podium is at the, at the front and I stood in the witness box to his left and I'm sworn in by asking, by being, you know, Telling the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and I was, I was, there was uh, questioning by the prosecution, uh, cross examination by the defense, and then redirect by the prosecution. And I, I guess I was on the stand for uh, I don't know, forty five minutes. My favorite part about the defense's angle, the um, loves current legal rep Michael Naborski, uh, basically had a couple of angles uh, to explain uh, her tweet in, of this claiming that they got to her. One that it could mean different things. For example, that they irritated her or they wore her down or that they reasoned with uh, the lawyer into not participating in uh, Courtney's uh, legal world. But then the other angle was that simply when it comes down to it, the woman's nuts uh, because he's, he's saying things like, who are they? You would think that would be something that the, pro- the prosecution would use. But no, it's the defense saying, oh, they uh, it's, you know, it was a v- she said, she said situation. It was very complicated on both sides. I didn't get to hear all the testimony, but I, in person, but I, I, I read about it. Did you stick around? Because I understand you actually had a conversation with Courtney afterwards. Oh, I f- listen. So I'm waiting to testify and it's in this big hall outside the courtroom. I'm not allowed to walk into the courtroom when, when it's, when it's in session mm-hmm. because I'm a witness. So uh, I'm sitting in the hallway outside. The door to the courtroom opens. Who walks out? And she walks right toward me. And I go, oh, this is going to be bad. But, you know, she was very nice. Was she even supposed to be able to talk to you since you're a witness? Uh, I, I, she did. <laughs> and I talked back. 
And um, did you just get this entire case thrown out right here? No, 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 no. It was, it was no. Well, are they going to be citing this, or are you and I going to have to fly back down to Los Angeles together? Well, you know what? If it stays this cold, uh, maybe, maybe we will. <laughs> you know. And after that, we we continued to talk, and then uh, she invited me to for a drink that night. So. I went to the Chateau Marmont Hotel, which is where she's living right now, and she invited me up into her room, and we sat there and we talked about stuff that I won't talk about uh, for about an hour. She was uh, chain smoking in uh, uh, in, her, in her pajamas, telling me all kinds of stuff, including that she plans to crash the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony when Nirvana gets uh, their honors. She even showed me the dress. Why would she have to crash it? You would think that as the wife of the late Kurt Cobain, she would in fact be invited. Yeah, well, she says, hashtag Yoko, her quote. Oh, that she's Yoko or Yoko Ono played a role in her not going? Uh, well, no, 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 that, that, that she's the, the Yoko of, of, of Nirvana, yeah. and that's how she's, she's viewed. And I don't think that there's a lot of love lost between her and the two other guys in the band. But she's already got her dress picked out. She does. I saw it. It's very pretty. It's green. It's very uh, diaphanous. Uh, it'll, it'll look good. And you know what? Well, I had a really good time talking to her. And, and now I've got her phone number. I've got her email. And she's texting me all the time. So You don't respond to my text messages. No. No. But, uh, you know, I don't res- necessarily respond to her texts either. She just texts me. And they come in these, these, these torrents, these torrents of texts. Text her back with nothing but pictures of kitty cats. Just, just to see what happens. <laughs> she, I'll tell you some of the She has some of the best emojis <laughs> i'll tell you that i've ever seen so anyway we we go through the the entire uh, court case and uh i i asked can i go see closing arguments and they said no it's probably not a good idea to have a witness just in case it biases the jury some way so fine mm. uh and as i was getting on the plane just as i was getting on the plane on friday to come home um the jury signaled that they were ready and that the um Verdict was coming down, and it turns out that the uh, the prosecution's case was was too weak in the eyes of the jury. Case dismissed. Apparently, and I I, I can't say this for 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 a fact, but um, I became uh, good friends with the uh, reporter for Spin Magazine, a woman named Pamela, who's actually Canadian, who's uh, working down there, and she went to every single day of the court case, and uh, she seemed to think that there was something in my testimony that may have muddied the waters just enough for them to uh, say, no, this isn't a case. No wonder she's tweeting you all the time then. Well, she was tweeting before that, but you know what the, the prosecution wanted? They wanted $8 million in damages. $8 million. And, you know, uh, so, so Courtney's tweeting me at a, at a thousand miles an hour, and uh, she seemed to think, and I'm not sure where she got this from, but again, I was in the court, so it could be very true. So they won $8 million in damages, and I think they apportioned uh, $2.5 million of, that, of those damages to, uh, to my article. This is described as being the first uh, Twitter libel lawsuit, Twible lawsuit, but it actually isn't. Uh, she had uh, accused a designer of being a, a whore and a slut and all sorts of crazy stuff on, on Twitter and ended up costing her big bucks. Yeah, it did, $430,000, but that never went before a jury. Ah. The, the, the big deal was that this was before a, a, a jury. Now, there was an offer from uh, Holmes and Gordon to settle this. Um, before it went to trial for $660,000. She said no. She wanted it to go to trial, so that's that's what happened, and, and she gambled, and she won. So there you are at the center of the world's first Twible lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's exactly it. 
think the internet is cool? Geeksandbeats.com is now available on computers. Read the stories the boys are talking about, stream the latest episode, and get caught up on back issues of the world's most popular podcast, Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on CD-ROM. How Steve Jobs almost put a little man in every Mac. I have no idea what you're talking about here. I, I do know that the, the Mac turned 30 last week, so what's this? It turned 30 last week. The Macintosh did. And uh, one of the whimsical ideas that Steve Jobs had, according to FastCodeDesign.com, was he wanted to put a little man inside every Mac in the operating system. So that after you know X number of thousands of times you pulled down a menu... Embedded in the menu would be a little man wearing a Macintosh raincoat and a hat, and he would just sort of wave at you and then disappear. And it would happen so infrequently that you would even wonder if Mr. Macintosh actually was there or if it was just something you thought you saw. Okay, this is a bad idea. One word, clippy. (laughs) The, The Microsoft paperclip? Yeah. Why, hello there. I'm leveraging real-time, legacy-compliant, collaborative micro-branding to complete the most important project in my company's history. As soon as I finish this proposal, I... It looks like you're writing a letter. Ah! Would you like help? You. You little metallic... You little metallic... Hmm. Try rephrasing your query. Uh, You know what? I met the guy that killed Clippy. Did you shake his hand? I hugged him. You hugged him. The whole problem with putting uh, the little Macintosh man inside the first Mac was that the first Macintosh only had 128K of memory. So how much would the Macintosh man have taken up? That's the problem, is they put all of this effort into putting them in. The programmers had written what they call hooks into their software so that you could easily just drop the character in when you had finalized how he would look. And Susan Kerr, uh, who was the one who did all of the icons for the Mac, was also responsible for designing this guy as well. Uh, They put it all together, and then they concluded that there simply wasn't enough memory in the ROMs. Because remember, a lot of the operating system on the Macintosh in the early days was built into chips not software-based. And they just simply didn't have enough space to be able to pull it off. However, all the hooks and codes are in there, so if somebody wanted to do it today, pull up an old 30-year-old Mac, they could still do it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, It was just one of those little things that as they were building the Macintosh that Steve Jobs came up with. There were a whole bunch of other ones as well, but this was one of the ones that just simply didn't uh, make it off the drawing room uh, board. Yeah, I wonder what else was in there. But that's that's kind of that's kind of cool. Did you ever have a an early Mac? No, no, no. I waited until uh, the company got their act together. No, I did not. I was a PC. I didn't buy my first computer until 1992, and that was um, a clone box from a, a local guy. And uh, I didn't start using Macs until. 2004, 2005, maybe? On the inside of every single Macintosh is the signature of the team that built it. So if you crack the case open and look inside, you can see everybody's signature in there. Yeah, this is that's the original Mac, right? That's the original Mac, yeah. The thing is, is that what a lot of people don't realize is that as much as Bill Gates stole the Windows operating system look from Apple's Macintosh look, Apple stole it as well. Well, okay, the, the, that's the Xerox Park story, right? Correct, that they got the big tour over at Xerox Park, and Xerox Park was working on something very similar that had a desktop 
theme to it, a metaphor of having actual folders and on a physical looking desktop on the screen in a trash can and all that kind of stuff and the very first mouse as well. And Steve said this is fantastic and the the question becomes did he steal it or did the X number of thousands of dollars he gave Park give him the right to take it? I think the phrase is he was inspired by it. So. Uh, yeah, and when Steve Jobs accused Bill Gates of stealing the Mac, um, Bill Gates pointed out that uh, he went for the same Xerox Park tour oh, like a week later. Yeah. So he stole it from Steve Jobs, who stole it from Xerox Park. Yeah, fine. Well, it doesn't matter because everything is graphic, graphic user interface now anyway. So What's soon coming from Apple is the Apple Wallet. Apple is not going to use near-field communication, right? I don't know if that's the case. Uh, NFC is what the Samsung Galaxy smartphones and all the other Android devices use for the ability to wave your smartphone at the barista to pay for your your beverage. But uh, Apple apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal, is already laying the groundwork for an expanded mobile payment service, basically because we've already given them our credit card number for the iTunes stores. And so they're saying, let's just build upon that. And the belief is, is that give it 10 years, you're not going to call Apple a computer company. You're going to call it a financial services company. Well, no, I, I agree that. I know that they're working on... Have you been into um, uh, an Apple store recently and, and, and see how they take your credit card number with their uh, handheld iPhones and the special little uh, case they got for them? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And, and, you know, I think... Okay, here's, here's the genius in what Apple has done is 150 million or 200 million credit card numbers. And they're able to process microtransactions very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that the I think that one of the next areas ripe for disruption are cash registers. Well, here's the interesting thing about that. While the Apple store does have the guy in the blue shirt with the handheld device will swipe your card, they've got an app now called Apple Store. And if you use the Apple Store app, you can walk into the store, scan something. And walk out with it, and it will automatically take it off your credit card based upon your iTunes store card, and you just walk right out. Yeah, it's, it's, I've used it, and uh, each time I stop at a blue-shirted person at the door saying, I feel weird doing this, just walking out with stuff, and they go, yeah, you know, I'll just get used to it. 575 million people have registered with the iTunes store, so they've already got this massive base of credit cards. Yeah, uh, financial services, that's that's... Sure, and uh, they know everything about us because they're also tracking the data about what we what we what we purchase, what we watch, what we listen to. Do you want a bigger iPhone? You know, I do. I want a bigger. I got mine in my hand. I have a five S. Um, hey, how, how's the fingerprint recognition on? Are you liking it? I like the fingerprint recognition. I use it all the time. I, I gotta maybe add another finger to it because I just got my right thumb. Um, but I like it. Um, do I want a bigger one? Why would you need to add another finger to it? Um, listen, when you're walking the dog, sometimes the thumb that you need isn't available. Oh, okay. So I would like to have a thumb on the other hand or a finger that is a little bit more convenient. That's why. Do I want a bigger one? I'm not sure if I want a bigger one. I mean, this one fits in my pocket. It fits in my breast pocket when I'm wearing a, um, like a sport coat or something. Mm-hmm. Um, fits in my hand nicely, although I got a big hands, so I could probably handle a bigger one. I, I don't know. I mean... So you hit on an interesting point. I don't have very big hands. And so if I'm holding my iPhone 5, as I am right now, my thumb manages to reach every single corner quite comfortably. You make this thing any bigger, and then I'm going to have to start using two hands for the thing. 
Well, yeah, the only reason I could see it being a little bit more convenient for me is because I got fat fingers and um, I have to uh, poke when I type on the keyboard. Ah, with one hand, I can't do the I can't do the thumb thing. So you think that if they make the screen bigger, that they'll actually make the uh, keyboard itself bigger? Yeah, give me a fraction of a millimeter on on some of the the keys, and I I, I might be able to do the 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 crackberry prayer, but I, I I can't do it on this. I just can't because I end up uh, well, it just. <laughs> It's autocorrect hell. The issue with making a screen bigger is how do the app developers deal with this? Do they have to rewrite all of their apps? And only the smart ones won't have to rewrite all of their apps because unlike Android, which is all vector-based, and do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about vector graphics? Yeah. Instead of saying, you know, we've got 32 dots by 32 dots and dot 17 is this color, uh, what you're saying is you're saying, I want to draw a line from this point to this point, and no matter how big or small the screen gets, that line line will adjust. And that's how vector works. Oh, okay. The majority of the smart iOS designers already have used vector-based graphics, whereas some of the uh, shabbier ones are still using bitmap-based, where you actually draw each individual dot to come up with the icon or whatever it is you're doing. So they will have to make changes to their screen, whereas the smart guys have said, okay, I want this text to be you know, 5% from the top of the screen, 6% from the left side of the screen. So no matter how tall or wide the screen is, it's always going to be in that corner. So it scales nicely. Exactly. So it could just be a flip of a switch for the vast majority of people to go to a much larger screen. Right, rather than go from that 1x to 2x increase, which leaves everything rather grainy. Exactly. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, we'll see. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I've got, I've got my my five S, and then I've got my iPad Mini, which which is sort of in between. Yeah, it is. And I can't. Um, you might as well just stick with the iPad Mini. Well, oops. just add a phone to it. Just drop my phone. Yeah, exactly. So I I, I really uh, go to geeksandbeats.com and tell us what you think. Uh, we'll put this up on the uh, the website, and you can comment on that, and we'll uh, mention it in uh, your comments next week. Time now for Ask Alan anything. All right, Brad, what uh, what does Brad want? Hi, Alan, and hi, Michael. It's uh, Brad calling from Omini, Ontario, and uh, I've got a, another question for you. And uh, it, it stems around the fact that on several of the podcasts, you guys have flirted with the topic of online music subscriptions. And I have been a subscriber to Slacker uh, for probably about 18 months now and found it to be the one that seems to have the widest library. But being uh, the music geeks that uh, you guys are, I'm wondering, is that the best service at this point for Canadians? I have tried RDO, um, and I, I've tried iTunes Radio by creating one of those U.S. fake uh, uh, iTunes accounts, and uh, it just doesn't seem to have the same the same library. And I suppose that this is something that's pretty fluid, right? Like it's it's the licensing changes all the time. In fact, even with Slacker, I've noticed that um, sometimes I have access to certain albums, and then all of a sudden they just disappear. And I'm assuming that that's licensing stuff. Um, and I gotta also ask you about Sonos. I'm wondering if you guys have played around at all with the um, Wi-Fi speakers. Um, uh, this past year, I invested in uh, Sonos for my entire house. I bought a resale home and couldn't put uh, in ceiling speakers without doing a whole bunch of work and uh, have fallen in love with these things. The only drag is that you got to use a music subscription service, or I suppose you can use your uh, your iPhone or something like that, uh, the, 
the storage on there. Um, and I can tell you that with these music online subscription services, you're not going to have access to all the cool stuff like Plastic Bertrand and, and uh, Odivo and, and, you know, some of the more obscure stuff. Although Odivo might be on there. Anyway, just uh, wondering what your thoughts are on the best online music subscription for Canadians. Hope you're having a great week and I can't wait for the next podcast. Uh, time for us all to ante up and uh, pay our 25 bucks and be co-producers. I'm going to do that this week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, Sonos uh, has songs built in. Uh, they're partners, so that works out really, really well. And you like Sonos of songs up because, of course... I, well, I work for them, but also because um, I don't... Songs, it makes it easy for me in terms of picking music. Um, the way Songza work is, Songza is, is, um, how do I describe it? I should know. Um, it bases playlists on mood, activity, time of day, and activity. And so you come to the main screen, there are six data points asking, you know, for that, that are particular to that kind of day and what you may be doing. And then you drill down through these nested menus to find the playlist that actually goes along with what you are doing, how you are feeling and what time of day it is. Now, the thing is, is Brad points out that um, it seems that some his favorite streaming service right now, which is Slacker. The licensing model seems to be such that every once in a while, tracks that he had previously listened to are no longer available. Is that a problem on um, Songza as well? Yes. Um, well, no, I, I... Why does that happen? It all has to do with the vagaries of licensing from territory to territory. For example, let's say you want to listen to, and I'm just going to pull this out of my hat, uh, Black Sabbath Paranoid. Up until recently, the only way you could listen to Black Sabbath Paranoid is if you played the track off the Dazed and Confused soundtrack, because that was on one particular label that had licensed all the material from the soundtrack to streaming music services. However, the original source of Paranoid, which is the uh, the album from 1972, uh, that album has not been licensed. Therefore, you cannot stream the version or you cannot stream uh, a version of Paranoid credited to that album. Does that make sense? So these these licensing agreements are constantly changing, especially since, you know, labels are buying other labels and there's consolidation and all kinds of different deals are being worked out. So it's a problem for 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 I would imagine for just about every service because you it's it's the licensing is is a moving target for the people that are in charge of securing it. How do you like the Sonos, by the way? Sonos is really good. Um, it's it's probably probably the best of the wireless speakers if you're going to have uh, stuff around your house. I find it uh, far more reliable than the Apple product, the uh, AirTunes. Yeah, I tried the AirTunes. I, I, I deep-sixed it. Sometimes I can't connect to it. Sometimes I do. Uh, I, I have to have that PC set up to automatically download all of my, my new music. It, Sonos falls short to me, though, in the user interface. The actual app that you use to control it isn't as intuitive or as pretty as what you would get with other streaming products. But uh, the physical hardware is is rock solid. You're going to spend a pretty penny on it, though, if you are, in fact, going to do that. No, this is a premium premium product. It really is. But uh, like you say, the hardware is very good. It sounds very good. 
and it's it's relatively easy to use. When you get uh, the Sonos system, it, you get the speaker, a speaker or multiple speakers, but you also need to have this thing called the bridge, which acts as the hub to be able to play all this other stuff. The most recent thing that they've added to the collection is the play bar, which sits underneath your television. And for 750 bucks, you get this remarkable sound. I had a chance to play with this for some time, and uh, it was really quite impressive the audio quality coming out of this bar that just sort of sits underneath your your flat screen tv but again 750 bucks this is not cheap no 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 no, it's not and and um there will be more like roku and a bunch of others that eventually get into this space uh and force prices down got a question about music love that suspicious rash ask alan anything Call 323-319-NERD. Botched surgery means opera star can't sing without... Farting. Farting. This, uh, I posted this over the weekend, and this, I think, was my most retweeted thing. People were fascinated by it. It's a mezzo-soprano who had an episiotomy um, after the birth of her child, and now whenever she belts it out... Yeah. She belts it out. Uh, Her name is Amy Herbst. And uh, she's, oops, what's that? Oh, never mind, close. Uh, she's had to um, retire because of this embarrassing problem, and now she's she's suing. There seems to be a, a few medical solutions to this kind of problem th- that don't require going back under the knife. Like, can't you just find yourself at a shopper's drug mart, pick up some Beano or something? I, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor, and I won't even play one. But uh, this sounds like a pretty complicated little case down in an area that I don't know much about. She was told by a surgeon at the Vanderbilt that the necessary reconstructive surgery would, quote, likely not eliminate the lack of control of flatus, and she may require additional surgeries in the future. See, I just shivered. I, I just did. You. I, 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 feel, I feel bad for the woman. I really do. I mean, it's ruined her career. It's ruined her, her sex life. And, uh, you know... Well, what are you going to do? I, I just, you know, go to a different hospital, get it fixed, please. There's, there's, there's no American Express warranty on this. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. How did you pay for it? Oh. Yes, she should have paid for it with a credit card. <laughs> with a credit card. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, man. Uh, I've been uh, addicted to Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, the new web series by Jerry Seinfeld. Uh-huh. Speaking of uh, jokes, uh, have, you, have you watched any of them? Uh, you know what? I haven't. With, this is a man who is clearly wealthy enough that he doesn't have to work ever again. So he is basically doing whatever the heck he wants to. And so he's picking up his buddies in the comedy business, taking them out for coffee in these fantastic classic cars. This is a 1949 Porsche 356-2. This is one of the very first production cars produced by the Porsche company. The first cars were built by hand in a sawmill in Gmund, Austria. That's why a lot of people call them Gmunds. They were made mostly of Volkswagen parts, but the body had a very advanced aerodynamic shape and was made of all hand-formed aluminum. This car was the 40th of 52 cars made before they came to their senses and realized we can't have a car company where we're building each one of these things by hand. This car somehow survived with 100% of its original components intact. 
most amazing thing to me about this car is if you get in a Porsche that was built today, they feel kind of similar. I love it because to me it looks like a little alien flying saucer. Imagine how it looked in 1949. It's a little bit about the cars, it's a little bit about the coffee, and it's all about the comedy. And uh, season one was fantastic. Uh, season two uh, featured Jay Leno. And I am not a fan of Jay Leno on The Tonight Show, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for this guy. Yeah, he's, he's a very smart businessman and a very, he's, he's conducted his career well. On the day after he retires from The Tonight Show, or sorry, more accurately, is retired from The Tonight Show, he is going right back up on stage with his comedy routine at a local comedy joint, as he does every Sunday. He does? Really? Every Sunday, he plays a gig uh, in Los Angeles. And uh, the money that he got from The Tonight Show, he just put in the bank. He lives off the money he makes from his comedy tours. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So he must have been... Making, what, f- probably $12 million a year. A lot of that money went into cars, though. I mean, he's got a, um, I think he's got a, uh, an airplane hangar. He has two airplane hangars. Uh, watched him on, the, on 60 Minutes uh, with uh, Steve Croft, and they went through all, all this kind of stuff. And at one point, Steve Croft asks him, do you have any other interests? You know, 20 years ago, you showed me through your classic car collection. We're here again. Have you not grown in any way, shape, or form? <laughs> and it got really awkward. Yeah, okay, fine. But on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, uh, he tells what I, I have to say to this day, uh, and it's been about a week since I've watched it, still makes me laugh out loud every time I hear it. It's uh, the goat joke. I don't know the goat joke. You don't know the goat joke. Okay, um, I'm going to give you a couple of options here. I can try to tell you the goat joke, or we can just play the clip. Play the clip, please. Two guys are hunting. The guy goes, whoa, whoa, big hole. How deep is that? He goes, I don't know, let's throw something in the hole and see what's in. So they, they see this rusty old anvil lying over there. So yeah. they drag it over, they throw the anvil. They don't even hear it hit. Next thing they hear, what's that? They see a goat coming at them. The goat goes, Tew! almost knocks them over, Tew! dives down the hole. And they hear, Becky, Becky. Here's this old farmer yelling, Becky. So the farmer sees kind of stops and goes, hey, you guys see a goat? Yes, we did. A goat went by us about 80 miles an hour and jumped in that hole. And the farmer goes, that's impossible. I had him chained to an anvil. <laughs> That's a great joke, isn't it? It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Comedy gold, uh, would you say? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Which is actually kind of funny because when I posted this on the Geeks and Beats uh, page, we actually got one response uh, from uh, uh, Dr. Proximo uh, saying, 22 minutes of Jay Leno for a goat joke? No thanks. Uh, Still not as bad as 22 years of violating Carson's legacy. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I laughed. Are you looking forward, though, to uh, his replacement, Jimmy Fallon? I don't mind Jimmy Fallon. I think he's a bit of a lightweight. He's very talented because he can sing and dance and do all that other stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jimmy Kimmel guy. Uh, you know what? I'm a big fan of the Jimmy Kimmel, too. I don't think anyone puts as much into the monologue and, and a two-part monologue at that than Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, he's got better musical guests, too. True. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. 
Brent Han, or Brent Ann, or Tan. Uh, tweeted asking us uh, about royalties for syndicated TV shows. We were talking uh, in a previous episode about how you can't have happy birthday played at your local restaurant when it's your birthday because there would be a royalty that the Chuck E. Cheese would have to pay out. And so Brenton asks, how would royalties work for syndicated TV shows like The Simpsons when, as we see here, the Ramones saying happy birthday? No, uh, it's it's a that would be a blanket license, and they would have to pay for it every year. Last week we talked about the best driving songs, and we were quite suspicious of this list that came from this insurance company who had polled their members, and we had a response that really uh, surprised me. Everybody seemed to pick the same song. We had Alan Coors uh, suggest that nothing else comes close uh, to "Radar Love." Al Murdoch and Martin, uh, aka Mr. Bacon Razor all simultaneously tweeted back saying that their surprised Radar Love by Golden Earring wasn't on the list. A great driving song, I think, Martin writes. I really can't offer an explanation for that because you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it, and it's not like Radar Love would be unknown to the Brits because uh, uh, Golden Earring is 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 from from the Netherlands. So oh, that's that's a good point. I don't think I can I can necessarily disagree with that. It should be there, and that's one of the greatest driving songs of all time, if not the greatest driving song. I'm with you. I, I think it's right up there. It should be on the list. I don't know that it's number one, but it wasn't even on the list of this uh, company's uh, collection. So I, I think we definitely need to put it on the list. Yeah, okay. I, I agree. Put it there. Uh, we'd love to have you go to geeksandbeats.com slash swag and open your wallets. Yes, please. Oh, how is our... Uh how are we doing with our, our Facebook account? Well, we're going to... Uh top up the Facebook uh, dollar account here. We've got uh, Greg Cooper who's helping us out with a, a campaign, and I'm going to just give you a little bit of a hint, but we've got this fantastic giveaway that we'll be talking about next week, and we're going to shape a fantastic contest to go along with it. This is that new Sony handheld camcorder that they're targeting towards bands who want to make their own music video, but frankly, you could use this uh, for your first baby walk or anything of, of that nature. What makes this particularly cool for bands is that it's got stereoscopic microphones built into the front, so in addition to the high def, you're going to get that. So we're going to uh, announce next week how we're giving it all away, and we're going to throw some money uh, back at Facebook to help make it happen as well. Oh, okay. That's cool. I think we talked about that uh, camera, didn't we? We did. Yeah. And so it's finally arrived, thanks to the folks at Sony. Uh, so if you go to uh, the Swag Store and you buy one of our craptastic mugs, whether it be the G&B Special Edition members only exclusive mug of drinking or the G&B Miracle Travel mug of traveling, uh, because uh, using the modern science, the mug will keep hot things hot and cold things cold. Not at the same time, mind you. Oh, uh, still got to work on that. If you drop the big bucks on it, we get some of that. You can, however, become the uh, co-producer of another episode by opening your wallet. We get all of the money from that. It's only 25 bucks, uh, but we'll put that into the kitty so that we can promote the big show on Facebook and Twitter and all that nonsense. Yes, and you can put that on your resume, the fact that you were uh, a co-producer of the show. And you get the album art for that week, high resolution, mailed to you, which is suitable for printing off and hanging in your mother's basement. Oh, that's very cool. I didn't know that part. 
Also very cool, the bra clasp that only unhooks when true love is detected. <laughs> why, why was this not available? Well, it wouldn't have mattered if I was, it was not available if I was, if I was 18 because I wasn't getting anything. But, <laughs> uh, but so it's, okay, so it's sensors in a bra. There are two sensors uh, in strategic places. It measures, I guess, um, heartbeat and, and blood flow. And if it reaches a certain level under certain parameters, pop, no more, no more struggling. Wait, wait a minute. Now, will it unlock or does it unclasp? I, you, would you want to be walking down the street and see some hottie walking towards you? And, you know, he gets your blood pumping uh, and it's love at first sight and then boing. Hang on, let's see here. I'm just checking. It, uh, oh, see there, I can't open this site. I can't open that site because it's supposed to play music. There's a video that goes with it. It's Japanese lingerie. Man. Oh, a surprise. It's from Japan. Yes. <laughs> Manufacturer uh, Ravi Ju. Now, here's what what it does. is um, It not only monitors your heart rate, but all their vitals. Because one of the sensors is located um, over the nipple. The other sensor is located near the armpit, basically. And using Bluetooth, it's constantly transmitting to your mobile phone to process the data. <laughs> Now, my concern, of course, is that it would be processing the data and uploading it to the cloud, and your privacy is out the window. Yeah, it tweets everything. Right. Um, now, any time that there is no change in the heart rate, you can unhook the bra. You don't need to be in love and have your heart rate elevated to be able to get the damn thing off at the end of the night. Um, so if you don't have any change to your heart rate, it will unhook. If there is only a minor change to your heart rate... It concludes that the person who's trying to take off your bra is not worthy. So it's the 21st century version of Spongeworthy. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.